Rob Trependahl founded his own landscaping company at the age of 24, driven by his desire for greater personal freedom. However, he soon found himself struggling to keep up with the demands of his growing company, working grueling 90-hour weeks that left him burned out and in over half a million dollars of debt. In this episode, you will hear Rob share his journey through the early years of his business, the struggles he faced, and the crucial turning points that led him to make radical changes in his approach to work and life. I had a good life growing up, but as as a middle schooler and high schooler, I, I often felt kind of like an outsider. Hmm. You know, everybody around me was excelling in lots of areas. They were great at, I felt like everybody I knew was great at sports. They were great at music. They were all these performers. Um, and I, I didn't feel like I, I could perform. A lot of my close friends were great musicians. They had bands or they did this. They were winning talent shows. They were winning on the sports field. And I was just kind of sitting on the bench quite literally in so many different categories of my life. Um, and I just kind of felt like my time had not come, you know, right. I, I was a happy kid, you know, great family life. Everything was good, but I just kind of felt like I was a passenger in my own life for most of middle school and high school, just kind of waiting for kind of like discover my hidden talent, you know, and I would try out different things and try this sport or try this thing. And I was trying to win the girls, trying to do that. And I just kind of felt like I was underperforming. I was a late bloomer, you know, kind of a funny thing. But I was just, I was happy, but I always felt like I didn't quite measure up to my peers in a lot of different ways. So if you want to get like as existential as that is, that was kind of my reality. I had a safe, you know, great family, great support system, all that stuff. But that was kind of like underlying there, this sort of sense of inadequacy of like, what is it that I have to bring the table? What am I here for? Why? I had this great, tremendous amount of desire and just great passion. I just didn't know how to direct it. So that was kind of a big part of my defining narrative growing up in middle school and high school. Maybe for a lot of people, they feel that way. But I certainly felt like, um, what is it that I'm here for? What am I really good at? I was Academically, I was decent. You know, I was a pretty smart kid. I got good grades. I was a good kid. I followed the rules. I did a lot of that stuff. And my dad taught me early on how to work. He said, I'm going to teach you two things, son how to love and how to work. So I'm going to love you well. You're going to learn how to love in this family and I'm going to teach you work ethic. And so grew grew up working on our family farm, you know, always knew how to run a chainsaw and how to do all those kind of manual things. Uh, you know, how to skin a deer and all those things and how to work outside, how to work with my hands. So uh, I grew up learning, you know, really important values, but like I said, kind of had that sense of like I know that I was made for more than this and how come it seems like everybody else is kind of getting their moment even mm. early on in life? But, um, you know, I was just, I, I, I knew that I hadn't had mine yet. Yeah. I, I tend to find that a lot of country people want to kind of go to the city because they feel like the city's where it's at. Like working with my hands is a bit, oh, I'm not feeling it type thing. But for you, you were like, I'm enjoying this. You know, it's it's fulfilling me, but it's also like, I feel like I can kind of break out of this frame type thing. So I'm wondering, when you graduated school, you kind of went into doing what exactly? Were you just still trying to find your way, staying on the farm, or were you like, right, let me go out there and try and make my own way? 
Okay. And also, I'll, I think I may be oversimplified with the farm thing. So I kind of grew up in a hybrid of living in the city of Baton Rouge and then in high school moved to a town called St. Francisville, a small town. So I kind of grew up in the city, but more in the suburbs. And then we lived in the country. So I wasn't like a farm boy per se, but I, I kind of like knew how to do both things. Yeah. So an important thing that happened in my life at 14, my oldest sister uh, was killed in a car accident, Laura. Oh. Um, and that was a pretty pivotal moment for our family. It was a very hard thing, but it did bring us closer together. Um, and one thing that came from that whole experience is her boyfriend of the time uh, ended up staying close to our family for quite a while. Dallas was his name. And Dallas kind of became a mentor to me. And he was, you know, about eight years older than me, uh, maybe 10 years older. But we stayed friends, and he kind of mentored me for several years after that. And he he was a businessman. He was a, a very sharp guy. And I remember as I was kind of getting older, you know, finishing high school, he said, you know, Rob, one of the best jobs that I ever had was working for Cutco, selling knives. And it taught me a lot of sales skills, a lot of business skills, and just something you should think about. You know, I know he he said, you know, you and I are pretty similar. And so if you get that opportunity, you should try that job. And so I just kind of put that in the back of my mind. And one day I saw an ad in the paper for, you know, a Cutco sales job. And I was like, hmm. Let me give this a go. And so I yeah. went through the training, and it was like three-day training, and then you just set to go off, and you start selling knives to everybody in your church directory or your school. And Sam, I was very good at it. It was yeah. as if like the first time where I was like, oh, this is kind of a skill set that I have. I kind of uncovered a little hidden talent. And pretty soon, everybody, every one of my parents' friends was you know, writing me checks for several thousand dollars, and I'm like, okay, I think I've discovered something here. I can sell things. I, um, I, I'm good with people. I can communicate well and build trust. I mean, I was always good at making friends and those kind of things, but I was like, this is actually a marketable skill here. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my first real aha moment was getting that job and kind of breaking into that skill set. And kind of there's a part of me that started to kind of open up. Uh, and, and also I, and I, I was getting praised for it. I, mean, I was winning awards. I was excelling. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is one of the first time I'm really excelling at something. So that was kind of an early spark that happened around age 18. In fact, I had declared that uh, my major in college would be biology because I thought about being a dentist because I worked at a dental office where it was just a bunch of attractive women and cool dudes. And I thought, this is what dentistry is, right? Hot yeah. girls, cool dudes, you make good money, I'll be a dentist. But when I got that Cutco job, um, uh, you know, that was right as I was going into college. And within six months, I said, look. I'm not going to do the dentistry thing. I think I'm going to be a businessman. Right. Just selling knives for a year told me, I think I think there's something to this. So I changed my major to business, and that kind of began that trajectory. Yeah. And going into college, you were, I'm assuming you kind of slowed down or stopped the Cutco thing and just kind of fully focused on doing that degree. Yeah. So I did, um, the Cutco thing lasted about a year or two. And then, and I always worked, I worked at restaurants just cause it was easy mm. money and you know, I'm good at talking to people. And so, but uh, yeah, I, my degree was in business finance and I thought at some point I want to work for myself. It's in the blood. Right. My, my father worked for himself. He's in real estate. My mother works for herself. She's an architect. My grandfather's on both sides. It's like everybody in my family has been an entrepreneur. And yeah. so I kind of hoped that I had that gene in me as well. And I always wanted to eventually start my own business. I just didn't know what kind of business it would be. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have the opposite going on. So a lot of people have like their parents, they see them working for other people, slaving away. And that, that really kind of makes it go, oh God, I don't want to do that. But in, in your case, the only example you had was entrepreneurship, which made it kind of normal, like a normal thought to you. But at least you were kind of like, I'm not just going to do whatever the trending thing was at the time, which could have probably been some kind of internet startup or something like that. You were like, I just don't know what the, the business idea is yet. And I'm curious, what was the first kind of business idea you tried out and why did you come across it? What made you go into it? Hmm, that's a great question. So uh, I will say the first kind of, I had sort of this default mindset that what I'll do is I'll follow the footsteps of my father, right? right? So he was in real estate. My major was real estate finance. I was like, well, what I figured is that I would get into real estate, kind of follow follow my father's footsteps and learn from him and then maybe take over his business. That's kind of what I thought I would do. I would go to college and then I would uh, graduate and then I'd go work with my dad and I would kind of get into commercial real estate. It's kind of a natural thing to, to do. I mean, I had a lot of respect for my dad. He yeah. made a good living. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll just kind of do what dad did. And so it's funny, like I work at the dental office, I'm going to become a dentist, right? Then I get to sell knives and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be in business. Then I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll do it. You know, you, I was very impressionable. And just yeah. wanted to, and I really, if I saw somebody doing something that looked attractive, I just wanted to do, do what they did. Mm. And so I was kind of on that trajectory. <clears throat> and then something interesting happened. I went to study abroad in New Zealand. And I went for six months. A lot of my friends were going to study abroad junior year in Europe. And Europe is mm. very expensive. And I just, someone told me that um, I was actually working as a fly fishing guide at a summer camp one summer. And this, uh, my fellow guide said, Rob, I'm getting married. I've spent all summer with you. I'm not gonna be able to do this, but I really wanted to go move to New Zealand and work on an organic farm. And I think you should do it. You should take my dream and do it because I can't do it anymore, but you yeah. should do it. And I was like, bro, I'm going to do it. So I, I kind of combined the idea of going on this big trip to New Zealand, also with study abroad. And I went on this trip. And on this trip, I met all these people who had like dropped out of college or kind of like taken the, the un, you could say the untraditional path in life. A lot of them were in their mid twenties and they were so happy and they were living in these like hippie vans. They were driving all over the country and just living their life. And they weren't doing the, you know, four year degree thing, then going to get a job and then doing this and doing that. They, they kind of took a different pathway. And I thought to myself, Oh man, I didn't realize there was another option. Yeah. And so this kind of poisoned the water for the real estate thing. I was like, man, am I going to really, I go home and I'm like, man, am I going to like put on a suit and like go to an office and sit in a cubicle and do all that? Cause I was like, I wanted to be a businessman. But then I was like, I just assumed that a businessman meant I was going to be in real estate and I was going to have to work for this big company for a while. And then eventually when I'm 40, I'm going to break away and I'm going to do my own thing or whatever. I kind of had this picture that I was going to follow. And this just kind of blew all that smithereens. And it was like, that sounds really boring. I don't want to yeah. do that. Uh, I was just kind of enlightened that I had a different choice. And also the idea of kind of being a suit just became, it just sounded terrible. And yeah. so all of a sudden I realized I have options. I want to be in business, but I also don't want to necessarily work for the man for a little while. I just, I wanted to just be my own person from the start. Uh, and so I'm, I'm dreaming big here and I'm just, I'm throwing all the shackles off of sort of my preconceived ideas of what my life would look like after college. So that kind of messes up my plans. And I'm like, God, what am I going to do? So then something interesting that jumps in here is I paddled the entire Mississippi River with two friends. Pretty important right. pivotal moment. It's a long story. I won't, I won't get too much into how it happened. But anyway, the three, of, three of us, 
my two best friends and I paddled the entire Mississippi River. For those who are living in the UK, I mean, that's a massive river, you know, 2,400 miles long, um, North America's biggest river. And it was a fundraiser for charity. It was an incredible trip. We raised a bunch of money. It was an awesome trip. And then after that trip, uh, we were thinking we would we filmed the trip. We're going to make a documentary and tour the country. And then I was going to use that as kind of like, that's going to be my next business idea. And I had all these ideas. Well, that didn't really materialize. But right. I, did, I, I did come home from that trip. And I, uh, from that trip and from the trip to New Zealand and just thinking like, there's another way. There's some way that I can provide for myself. And I've got to figure it out. And it's not real estate. I've got to be, yeah. it's going to be something more creative, something I can do on my own. While I'm figuring all this out, I'm living at my parents' house. And my dad's like, dude, listen, you, you can't stay here for too long. You know, you're, you're 24 years old, 23 years old. You, you, you need to figure th- something out. You need to figure out a job, touring the country, documentary thing. That's not going to really work out. So why don't you figure something out? And I'm like, I don't know, dad. He goes, look, for, run the family tree farm. It's this little small business. We've got a little hobby business. You know, why don't you sell some trees and figure out the business world? You had good success selling knives. Why don't you give that a go? So mm. I said, Okay. Fine. I'll do that while I figure out, you know, what's next. So dad gives me the the keys to this tiny little business selling live oak trees. And I start, I just started doing it. And after six or eight months, realized there, there wasn't a lot of inventory. The trees were too big to sell, but I did like the idea of being in the green industry. And so right. people were asking me, Hey Rob, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you plant these kinds of trees? Can you and so I eventually decided, you know what? Maybe I won't do tree farm, but maybe I can get into landscaping. People are asking mm. me to do all these skills that uh, I didn't really have, but I really needed to make money. I was desperate. I didn't know I needed to pay the bills. And so I get on YouTube, and I'm looking up how to landscape and how to do this and how to do that. And I just decided, well, hell, I'll just become a landscaper. And so within a year, I shut the tree farm down and opened a landscaping company just basically making it up as I went. I went and worked for a few friends for free. Uh, My first employees were like ex-convicts that I found down the street and paid them cash. I mean, it was all very, um, it was a steep learning curve. But my first project went really well, made good money. It was for a friend of mine's uh, parents. They loved it. And I thought to myself, okay, this is this is going to be my life now, and I'm I'm gonna here it is. This is my I mean I, it kind of clicked one day of like oh wow I've always wanted to be a businessman and then the tree farm turned into this and I just realized okay I'm actually in it I'm kind of living the dream now I still I know almost nothing about business I know almost nothing about landscaping but I thought to myself you know what I'm gonna go all in and see if this is my big shot and and see if I can figure out how to make a living doing this so that mm-hmm. was like if officially the business started. In May of 2012. So that's when I began my landscaping business. Yeah. So over 11 years in business. But I'm interested in that first year, those first five years. You know, you were probably on the tools there, probably trimming back hedges yourself, mowing lawns, all that kind of stuff. And I'm assuming now you're less involved in that. But talk talk me through that first year. What did that look like? How were you kind of, you know, trying to scale up this business? Because you said the first job was for, you know, your friend's parents, but obviously there's only so much friends and family you can, you know, milk dry until you have to actually get a stranger mm-hmm. as a client or as, you know, as somebody to do work for. Yeah, the first year was very humbling. So, you know, in order to have a landscaping company, you really need to have employees. And yeah. so I'm 
learning how to manage employees. I'm learning how to do sales, how to do marketing, how to do everything all at one time. And I don't have any money. It's not right. like I had some startup money or anything like that. I mean, I had a little bit of money in savings. I had, you know, a few investments that I sold off to kind of fund the thing. But I mean, I'm living at my friend's house because uh, my, my dad said, look, you got to get out of here. You can't stay at home anymore. I was home for like six months. I was like, you're right. So I'm living at my friend's house. They're having people over every night till two o'clock in the morning. And I'm waking up at four. I'm, I'm shoving pillows underneath the crack in the door because I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. every day, plan my day, watch my YouTube videos, figure it out, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to my little office, my little, I had, dude, I had commandeered a section of road. My dad owned an apartment complex, and the road went past the apartment complex, and it dead ended into some uh, a field or actually some woods, and I got a shipping container and I had it shipped to that little dead end, and I. And then I put a fence and I bolted the fence to the road. I just literally claimed 100 feet of this road and said, this is my office. Uh, and so that was it. That was how it started. And I, I got some employees probably off of Craigslist. I don't really know. Um, it was pretty rough at first. And I just started advertising. I think I got on Google AdWords or calling friends and family, probably posting on Facebook. And I mean, the jobs just started coming in and I had no idea what I was doing. And I would go plant trees and I wouldn't stake them and they would fall over and I didn't know how to price things. And employees would be calling me and telling me, threatening they're going to commit suicide if I don't give them a raise. I mean, dude, it was nuts. Okay. Mm. That first year was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have anybody to really help me along the way. I didn't have any like peers in the industry yet. I, and also... Meanwhile, I had this mindset of like, I'm going to grow this thing for years and I'm going to, I'm going to make this a big company and I'm not going to worry about profit. I'm just going to eat beans and rice and just kind of hustle and grind for years. And eventually it'll become profitable. Uh, that was kind of my plan. Uh, and I was like, if I, if I, my dad said, look, go for the gold. And if you get in trouble, I'll bail you out. So I said, okay. So I just started figuring things out. Um, the, in managing the employees was definitely the hardest part. Sales was easy. I had that skill from, you know, Cutco. I knew how to sell. I knew how to get my name out there. Once I started doing a few jobs, people started talking. I mean, there was plenty of business to be had. I mean, the first start of the business in May, I think that year we did $100,000 in business. Um, did we make any profit? None. But yeah, I mean, all out the I, door. <laughs> it's all out the door. I'm kind of writing off my, you know, my limited personal expenses, you know, my cell phone or whatever. I have very cheap rent. I'm just kind of scraping by mm. um, and I'm building it and I'm working. 90 hours a week, every week. I mean, I am grinding it. All my friends are off doing fun things. I'm saying, nope, nope. I'm keeping my head down. 24 years old. I'm going to build this thing. And I'm very fired up about it. It's very hard, but I was super fired up. And the plan was five years of growth, and then I would worry about profitability. And hopefully, I figured by the time I hit that point, hopefully there would be a woman in my life, and I would start to you know, kind of build a family. But I said, for five years, I'm just going to keep my head down and grind and learn all the hard lessons and figure it out. And so that was year one. Year two, uh, just kept grinding. You know what I mean? The business grew. The second year, we did $400,000 in business. Once again, zero profit. But um, I'm just learning how business works. I'm learning how to manage people. I'm learning how to hire people. I'm learning how to, you know, when to fire people. I'm learning my pricing. Um, a lot of hard lessons. A lot of things done incorrectly. Um, that It was definitely challenging at first. But I started making friends in the industry and started asking questions and started learning how other folks did it, which was very helpful. Um, and I didn't feel so alone. And mm -hmm. so those first few years, that was kind of how the first few years felt. Feel free to ask any specific questions about those years, but it was it was just like drinking out of a fire hose. Yeah. I mean, 
to be 24 and to be that determined, yeah, I'm sure there's people out there that are going, gosh, I wish I was that focused at 24 that I could think five years ahead. Most 24-year-olds can't even think five days, let alone minutes ahead. So to be that focused is amazing to go, right, okay, five years, I'm have this in place, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to grow this and, you know, make it profitable. That's amazing. But I, I'm wondering, once you did hit that five-year, you know, turning point because you've been in business now for 11 years, what did it look like where you're trying to now pick up all the pieces and take yourself from, you know, let's say you've already gone through steps one, two, three, four. You're trying to hit that next step of, right, this now has become profitable. So you've gone from kind of working in your business to now working on your business. What was that transition like? Okay, I'll tell you about it. And before I tell you, I, I will say, I think part of what kept me going so for that, you say that five-year level of focus. So I have a tremendous amount of ambition, obviously, but also I have a ton of um, optimism, right? right? Maybe even a delusional level of optimism of like, this is going to work out. Mm. Everything is, it's going to work out. If I put the time and energy in, it's going to work. And so I'm carrying that into things. Well, come, uh, I did meet my wife in 2015. Business starts in 2012. So I meet my wife in the uh, the beginning of 2014. We got married in 2015. So the business is still pretty young. The business is not profitable. However, it's bringing in millions of dollars. And I think right. that I'm a badass because yeah. I have a multi-million dollar company. I'm like, look at me. We did a million and a half in revenue. We're doing all these huge projects. I think that I'm the king of the world, mm. even though we're not making any money. Yeah. I don't even know that I'm not making money because uh, I'm not even keeping track of my books. But yeah. anyway, so... The growth thing is working out. Revenue is kicking ass. However, I'm not making any money, and I'm kind of starting to realize this as now that I'm married, you know, I'm building a family, and I'm like, okay, this whole build a big business thing is not really working out for me because at this point, I do have the wife, but the business is not able to support our family, and I'm still working probably 80 hours a week. So mm. there's some misalignment there. I'm like, oh, I met my wife too early. <laughs> she mm. should have come a couple of years later. So <laughs> meet the wife, still grinding my tail off, um, still not making any money, borrowing money from her social work salary to help fund the business. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sam, all my friends think I'm killing it. Yeah, of course. All my friends think that I'm like, I've grown this huge company and I kind of think I'm killing it. And then I realize that I'm not. When I get my tax return back uh, at the end of 2015 for 2016, I realized, oh my gosh, we we lost a ton of money this year. We tripled Mm. our revenue that year, but we lost a ton of money. I'm way overpaying my employees. I'm doing these giant commercial jobs, feeling good about them, but realizing not making any money. So 2016, things start going really downhill. Um, It's a really rough year for me. So business is now four years old. I'm in over my head. I've taken on some debt to sustain because, I mean, you've run a business for five years without profitability. Where does that money come from? Debt. Obviously, go borrow it, yeah. I'd taken on credit card debt. I'd taken on some equipment debt, all sorts of things. Meanwhile, my wife is basically Dave Ramsey as a female, and she doesn't know about any of this. Yeah. So, and I know you asked the question about what did it feel like when it turned around, but this is like, this is like the, the build up to it. This is so oh, important. We need the build up because yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's not like, oh, one day you flipped a switch. It's like, yeah, oh, we, we've, hell we've no. erased all the debt. Everything's fine. No, like, that's not no. how it goes so, at all. I had to hit rock bottom before I made a change. So, yeah. so mindset, like I said, at the beginning was build a big company and then I'll figure out profit. Well, I'm like halfway in the middle of building that big company, but I need profit now. Yeah. So, uh, the company is kind of cratering. Mm. And I'm realizing that I'm in trouble. Um, also, my wife and I are trying to have a baby soon. We're thinking, mm. okay, we want to get pregnant pretty soon. Within a, about a year of us getting married, the business is bleeding cash. I've 
bid on all these huge commercial projects that are I've realized aren't going to be profitable. Um, and I'm feeling trapped in my business. Yeah. Um, at this point, I had about $400,000 in debt. Mm. My wife doesn't know about the debt. Um, and she she knows that there's some debt, but she doesn't know how much there is. And I remember having a conversation with her and telling her, listen, if things don't turn around within a year, this was in the summer of 2016, if things don't turn around within a year, if the company's not making money, and if I am not working significantly less, then I'm going to get out. She's yeah. like, how are you going to get out? You have, you have a bunch of debt. She didn't even know how much it was. She knew I had a fair amount. I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to, I'll just sell off what I have and I'll go work for my dad. That was yeah. a plan. We, I remember specifically, we were driving, went to a beach trip with some friends. We had like a five-hour drive. It's like, Megan, things will look different in a year. I'm getting out of the business. I'll throw in the towel. I'll go work for my dad. She yeah. goes, deal. And so that was June 2016. So things got worse after that. So after that, um, uh, our shop flooded. We get uh, in August, uh, a big flood came and seven feet of water flooded all my equipment. We couldn't do any work for a month. It was terrible. So I got another loan to take on some of that, an SBA loan. And so it was, things were looking pretty dire at that point. Um, And I took on also at that point, because I was in the middle of that, well, that, that summer, what I didn't tell my wife is that I took on one of those high interest loans. You know, when those people call you on the phone and they say, Hey, do you <laughs> need $250,000? Yeah. yeah. I said yes of to one of those phone calls because you I was desperate. Meanwhile, I major imposter syndrome, right? My wife knows that the business is struggling, but doesn't know how bad it is. Mm. Um, my friends think that I'm killing it and I am. I'm taking on a 40% interest loan just to make payroll. My employees don't know how bad things are. Um, Very shameful time. Yeah. Feeling ashamed of myself that A, that I'm not able to have a profitable company and B, that I feel like I'm projecting this image of success and really I'm not. Very, Mm -hmm. very painful. And and I'm so ashamed of it that I can't even tell my wife. Right. Um, Or I I didn't tell my wife. I could have, but I chose not to. The only person who knew about this was my bookkeeper. And so I take on all this debt. Um, Things are just going down, 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 down. Feel very estranged for my wife during all this time. Feel very guilty, but I also feel like if I tell her, she's going to be really mad. It's not going to go well. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. This is kind of where the optimism kind of got the best of me. It was like Mm. delusion, right? It's like, Okay, Rob, maybe you're not going to figure this out. You're not just one project away from digging yourself out of a hole. This is a hole that's almost a half a million dollars. Yeah. And and it's getting worse. We're we're losing money every it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So then a turning point happened. Um pretty important moment. It's October of 2016 and one of my suppliers invited me to a NASCAR race in Talladega, Alabama. And I'm like, Megan, you want to go on a uh, on a free trip? She's like, yeah, we don't have any money. Free trip sounds great. So <laughs> we go on this trip. And at that trip, uh, I meet a guy named Garrett. And Megan actually met him and introduced him to him. She's like, Rob, this guy over here, uh, I think he's got some lessons for you. You need to go talk to him. So mm. I go sit down, talk to Garrett. And Garrett's uh, from North Louisiana. He's got a little bit of a, uh, of a country accent. And he... He listens to a little bit about how business is going, and he says, look, Rob, I have been where you are. Uh, and four years ago, I made a really important change in my business. You know, Four years ago, I had a ton of debt. My business was huge, but not profitable. I was a slave to it. I made some important changes, and now I work 10 or 15 hours a week, and life is good, and I'm debt-free, and um, I think I can help you. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
Really? And Megan's like, listen to everything that he says, Rob. You have to listen. I was like, okay, tell me more. So Garrett's like, look, join my mastermind group. It's free. Just me and a few guys. We'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll help you dig yourself out of this hole and see what we can do. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I went and um, so that was a, a great moment to meet him. I was glad to have the conversation. And then we kind of go home and Megan's like, you're going to call Garrett, right? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to call him. So a couple months later, I drove up to see him. It was a four-hour drive uh, to Shreveport. And I sit down with him, kind of show him all my financials and give him more information. And he's like, bro, it's way worse than I thought it was. Yeah. He's like, but we can still do this. He says, <laughs> but you got to hang on. And he goes, look, we're going to have to play chess, not checkers. He mm. says, this is a long-term thing. It's going to be very strategic, but we can do this. But you have to trust me. I was like, okay. And I was like, why are you doing this? And he was like, because people help me. And I'm yeah. like, all right. So I have to like kind of settle in. He's like, you're going to have to make a lot of hard changes here. And so what my business had been was it was a lot of projects. So yeah. doing a lot of one-time jobs for people, big commercial jobs, $200,000 projects, $30,000 here, $40,000 there. And so the money's coming in, but I'm not pricing it very well. I don't have any really residual or recurring income. Yeah. It's just one-offs. Mm. And I didn't know how to I, – I had a bunch of really fancy trucks and a, I just – I. I was just trying to look cool and be cool and just kind of flex my muscles as opposed to actually running a profitable operation. Yeah, buying all the new trucks is not where it's at. Sometimes you've got to buy them old, finance them, so that that way you've got something that's reliable, that you know works. Sometimes you buy the new truck, this goes on it, that breaks on it, and you're just, you're lost in expenses. That That's the worst thing you could do with a, you know, a manual business like that is buy all new equipment because oh. that equipment costs a lot more to maintain. Like some things, yeah, they're worth buying new. But other things, it's like get an old one, run that in, on finance for a bit, and then suddenly your monthly costs or your you know your cash flow is in a better place. Oh, it's so true. And I had these two managers that I had thought that I had to have my payroll is way overpaying. They were making way more money than I was. Of course, I'm not making any money at this point. Mm. And so Garrett's like, you need to get rid of almost all your staff. You need to sell off this truck. You need to get rid of this. You need to get rid of that. And he goes, and there's five commercial jobs that you've won the bids on that you're going to start in the next few months. He goes, you know, you're not going to make any money on those. You need to call all those contractors and tell them that you're not going to do the job. Yeah. I was like, well, I got another one. I got one I'm in the middle of. He goes, finish whatever phase you're in mm-hmm. and then tell them that you're not going to be able to finish it. And he says, all the debt, debts that you owe, you need to call every single person and say, listen, I know I owe you money. Give me six months. I'm going to be able to, I'm going to pause my payments right now and I'm not going to pay anything back, but I promise I'm good for it. So bro, yeah. I have to make all these phone calls Yeah. and, and I'm calling Garrett every week and saying, bro, like, I don't know if I can, he's like, just chestnut checkers, Rob, make the phone calls, do the thing. So I start doing it, man. I start firing multiple employees. I start selling off the fancy trucks. I start call, having these hard conversations with all these people. Mm. Dude, it was rough. I mean, of this course. took probably a month to start just implementing some of these things. And he goes, here's the key. You've got to start building some recurring revenue. You've got to get into maintenance. I'm like, maintenance? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I'm way too cool for that. I want to do big, sexy project. He goes, no, 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 no. You need recurring revenue. You need to keep it simple. Your business is too complicated. You need to get into fertilization and weed control, mm-hmm. um, which is a beautiful, profitable, scalable service. Yeah. And you got to figure out how to market. He goes, I'll teach you how to do Facebook marketing. I'm like, Facebook? He's like, yeah, bro. I make all my money off of Facebook. I'm like, okay. So I'm just an open book. And I get, I join this mastermind group, which is like several other guys. And we have a little trip to Phoenix where we learn a lot of things. It's just like seven dudes just sharing information on their businesses. And yeah. a lot of them had kind of been through the gauntlet that I'd gone through. And so yeah. they had a lot of wisdom to share. It's like three or four days. Life-changing. 
So go to Phoenix. I'm in the mastermind group and everyone's asking me all these hard questions and I am receiving their advice yeah. and I'm, I'm making the changes in the business and, and it feels really good. Right around this point, I, I was confronted by my wife for the 10th time on the debt and I told her how much debt we had and she was pretty upset. It was 443,000 bucks, but she, um, didn't speak to me for a few days and then made us get a debt counselor, but we went and, you know, started trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to dig ourselves out of this hole? Mm. And so I've got all this debt also have an unprofitable company and, but I'm starting to listen to and take the advice of these guys. And so all of a sudden, because I'm not making all these debt payments, you know, the company is starting to acquire a little bit of cash and I start right. marketing, uh, some maintenance services and start adding a few of those. And by the end of that year, I think in 2016, we lost like 140,000 bucks on our PL. That doesn't include the debt payments. And by the yeah. end of 2017, we crossed the line and we were in the black. So it was our first year we were profitable ever. It was like 9,000 bucks in profit on like one and a half million dollars. Yeah. But I was but like, something. It was something. Also, something else really important happened that year. So this is the year of the turnaround. Mm. So, we got pregnant at the end of 2016 and had a baby coming and the baby came September 1st. Now, as the baby's approaching, uh, I had just started paying myself a little bit of money from the company uh, kind of earlier that year. And my wife was planning on quitting her, her social work job, which wasn't making a ton of money, but it was enough to support, you know, our, our life. And the plan was if I can just make enough money so we can just pay our bills, um, you know, if the company can actually support it, then you'll be able to quit your job and we'll be able to, you know, that was our big dream is Megan would stay home at least for a year or two if the yeah. company could support us. And it wasn't, a, it was like a few thousand dollars a month. Like we didn't need a lot, but it, the idea was, can we take this company and turn it around from this huge, unprofitable, just demon and turn it into just a little bit of profit. And so I think it was the first month we were able to pay have the company pay everything that we needed for our bills was yeah. in August of 2017. So the baby comes in September. Megan quits her job like a week before the baby comes. And ever since then, the company has been able to support our bills. So like yeah. that, that 2017 was a huge year of transition. So that was like the, that was going from like terrible to like at least palatable. So yeah. that was the beginning of the change. Of course, I'm still super involved in the business at this point, but the business is just barely profitable. And then we went on the pathway to eliminate debt as soon as possible, right? So pretty quickly, the business starts becoming more and more profitable. I'm implementing all these ideas. I'm, uh, I'm raising my prices. I stopped doing all commercial installs. And you know, 2018 is an even better year. Mm. And we started making real progress towards the debt. And within, I think it was three more years, we paid out all, we paid all the debt down to zero, which right. was a huge relief. And at that point, um, we were going to pay off all that debt. Obviously the company is quite profitable. Yeah. And so then I was able to triple my salary, uh, pretty much overnight. And, um, that allowed me to afford really good staff. And so, you know, ever since then, so that was in 2019, ever since then, uh, or maybe it was 2020. I don't really remember exactly when we paid it off. But ever since then, I've been able to build an incredible team so that I could work myself kind of out of a job. And so once the idea came, so first the idea is build a big company. <laughs> then the idea is, okay, let's actually make it just profitable enough to survive. Then it's, 
pay off the debt, and then the idea of actually automating the company to so that I am not you know a constant slave to it. Um, I start putting that idea in place once again, listening to Garrett, a lot of those other guys, and so. As we are becoming more profitable, I'm also putting more systems in place, putting great people in place, and working less and less and less. And so I would say the moment that when I realized that, okay, this company actually can survive pretty well without me on a daily basis is in 2021, February, my wife and I went to Hawaii for a month. And at this point, we had another kid, so we had two girls. We left town for a month. The company did great. You know, my team hired a couple of people, fired a couple of people, gave a few raises out. We made good money. And I said to myself, okay, I think, uh, I think we're really far along at this company not needing me 24 seven. And so we've kind of been on that process ever since then. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if this is true, but a lot of people have mentioned it. The second they have a child, something inside of them just shifts and they, they're like, I need to get all my stuff together because I have to take care of this, this small human. So that seems like c- partly, you know, coinciding with all that stuff that happened with Garrett, that's sort of what happened. But what was it like taking that month off? Because I'm assuming at most you might have taken a week off in this, you know, six, seven year period of, you know, being in debt, coming out of debt or whatever. But taking that month off, how did that feel? Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, and so I'll tell you where I got the idea first before I tell you how it felt. Uh, you may have read the book Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Cool. So great book. I read that book probably around 2016, 2017 as a business is kind of making the transition. And that's where my wife and I sat down and we said, okay, we're slowly digging this company out. This is the ultimate goal is mm-hmm. being able to not only have a profitable company, Rob, but one where we can actually pursue our dreams. Mm-hmm. And so even when we were in the middle of it and you know when things seemed pretty dire, we, pl- we planted this dream in our minds of like, okay, we really want to be able to travel, you know, as much as we want, we want to be able to take a month off. And so we, we just kind of both looked at each other and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to pursue that really ridiculous, crazy dream. And even though right now we're in the thick of it, we're going to go for it. And so that idea, Tim Ferriss calls them mini retirements. Mm-hmm. And he has this argument. He says, why do we wait until we're, you know, 65, 70 years old to, to, uh, before we really go on big trips and kind of like experience life, he says, if you can find a way in your life to enjoy nice, you know, one or two month long trips when you're young, when you're healthy, he says, if you can figure out a way to do that, you can really improve the quality of your life. He calls it many retirements and Megan and I are like many retirements. So that, so that, that was kind of put the idea in our mind. And so in 2021, we planned this trip to go to Hawaii. We went, and we went in February because it was the peak of whale season, and we right. love whales. And, I mean, there were humpbacks everywhere. We would sit on our porch, or our lanai, as they call it, in Hawaii, and be drinking a cocktail, and there's a whale, and there's a whale, and there's a whale jumping. Uh, how It felt incredible. Uh, it was an amazing trip, um, and I was actually – I started my memoir when we were there. So right. hilarious that at 32, I started writing a book. Um yeah. You know, I, I started getting a lot of free time as I kind of automated the business. And so what do you do naturally when you have more spare time? Well, I needed something else to do. So started writing a book. I know why it was a great time to kind of get away from the office, and get away from a lot of things in life and kind of spend some time doing that. But of course, we did lots of fun adventures and we got to uh, we got to snorkel with manta, manta rays, got to touch a giant manta ray at night and, you know, go over uh, a volcano with lava and all that fun stuff. But the trip was amazing. 
It was a huge trip. It was a huge trip for me personally and for Megan and I as a couple to say, okay, we have made it. The company can survive without us. And it was just this huge bid to like, okay, we can start living our adventurous life now. Mm. You know, can the company handle it? The company did. And it was like, okay, let's do it again. So we did it last year. So last year was 2022. We went to Central California for a month. And the thing is like, these are not like, like luxury trips where we're like staying at some five-star resort, right? You can rent an Airbnb for like, you know, four or five grand, depending on where you're going. And, you know, it's just, other than that, it's just groceries and little daily adventures, you know? So the idea of going and taking a month-long trip uh, to somewhere like Hawaii that sounds so far-fetched to so many people, it didn't cost much more than our regular life. Once you get on a plane and once you get there, the longer you stay, the cheaper it is. You know what I mean? So um, it was amazing. It was amazing. Our our kids thought that we had a house in Hawaii. We'll go back to our Hawaii house. But (laughs) it was a beautiful experience. And so, yeah, we did it again uh, last summer. And last summer, our trip actually ruined us because we came home from Central California and decided we actually can no longer live in Louisiana because we've seen too much. We've experienced too much good, which is why we are now planning on moving to the upstate of South Carolina. So. That's kind of a different story. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that you kind of, you know, you read the four-hour work week and you actually put it in motion because there's a lot of people that read it and go, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I need to automate tasks, delegate them, all that kind of stuff. Be like, no, I'm going to do this this mini, you know, retirement thing and see how that goes. And you love it and you're doing it, you know, again, and you'll probably do it again in the future. So I'm, I'm curious, what kind of other personal, de- well, actually, I found out a new word for it. It's continued personal development so what other types of continued personal development are you doing you had the mastermind or you still have some kind of mastermind there you read the four hour work week and what else were you doing so i've I've read i've read a ton of books um and uh, a lot of what i've learned has come from the books that i've read i mean four hour work week is an important one definitely um dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people and Good to great. I think those are my three favorite business books. I've read each of those multiple times. Right. And uh, I also really love the book Essentialism. So mm-hmm. constantly reading books that can help sharpen a lot of my soft skills mm-hmm. um, has been a really important part of my journey. Another thing is just surrounding myself with peers. Clear my throat here. Surrounding myself with people who are a lot more knowledgeable than me. So, of course, I made that friendship with Garrett. And I, I continued my relationship with the mastermind folks. But I mean, I'm friends with a lot of guys in my industry here. Mm. And we'll sit down, we'll get together, we're in trade associations, but we'll just share knowledge, we'll share information, we'll pass clients to each other. And so having sort of this very open uh, relationship with friends of mine who are in the business, whether they're competitors or not, has mm. been really helpful. I've joined all these different Facebook groups and there's so much industry knowledge and wisdom that gets passed in, back and forth. And so realizing that I'm not on my own, I don't have to do this on my own because mm. being an entrepreneur can be a really lonely place. Yeah. And so reaching out, another thing that's been helpful as part of my personal growth growth is honestly like sharing this story. So with a lot of my friends, just being super honest and being like, Hey guys, I know y'all thought that I had it all together or whatever, but I didn't. And here's actually what happened. And being honest with my employees, kind of like learning my own story has been a really important part of my own personal growth and not being ashamed of where I was, but telling everybody that, you know, this is what I went through and this is what I learned and this is what you can learn from it. And you get a lot of buy-in from the company too. when people understand, you know, kind of the humble journey that, that we've been through as a company. So those are some, you know, some personal growth things that, uh, you know, that have helped me along the way. Lately, I've gotten really into fitness. Uh, you know, when I was 
setting up this idea that I'm going to grow this company and build it. I said, okay, when I'm in my mid thirties, I'm going to get in really good shape and I'm going to do triathlons. And yeah. so here we are, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm in good shape and I'm starting to do triathlons, you know? So, you know, I, I have all this spare time now. It's really strange to be 34 and be like kind of semi retired. And I'm yeah. kind of like, I thought this would take me until I'm 50 to get here, but I'm, I'm in my, you know, I'm, I'm young and I've got, I've got three young kids. And so I have all this time and it's like, what do you do with all this time yeah. when you, you don't, it's a really strange situation to be in, I'll be honest. And so for me, I'm an Enneagram three, I'm very high energy. I'm a performer, I'm an achiever. And it's like, I've automated my life and it's like, okay, now what? Mm. And so I'm kind of learning, Sam, at how to rest and yeah. what to do with this time. Of course, I'm working on this book, working on this memoir. Um, lately, I've actually launched a consulting company uh, where I'm now going to be taking on entrepreneurs and helping them along their own journey. That's yeah. actually went live yesterday. Uh, so there, Thank you. So I'm kind of in this weird balance now of what do I do with my time, you yeah. know? Uh, and so... Of course, I need. I'm spending more time with my kids, more time with my family, all that kind of thing. And so I'm kind of in this in-between balance of like having endless energy and passion, but also learning how to dial it back yeah. and really point that towards things that really matter. So, I mean, I've got a podcast and it's not about business at all, right? It's about people who have had, you know, life-changing experiences. I'm writing this book, this memoir, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to do more things that aren't about business and that, I mean, some of them are, but I'm just trying to dial it back a little bit now that I've, and, and kind of live in the reality that I've created. Yeah. Sometimes we, we pursue our dreams and we work really, really hard to get somewhere and then we just look for another mountain to climb. Yeah. And, and that can be good and that can be healthy, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have to sit back and be like, okay, I need to enjoy you know, the fact that I'm living in the reality of dreams that I created 10 or 12 years ago. And can I just rest a little bit in this beautiful place? So that's kind of that's kind of the tension that I'm living in right now. Yeah. I mean, that's a great place to be in. And like you said, you are quite young. I feel like a lot of people will only get to the point of where you were grinding in your you know early 20s at the stage you're at now. Where they're like, oh, gosh, hate my job. I've wasted the last you know decade doing all this rubbish. It's time for me to focus. I've got family or I've got this or I want to have this. So you're in this really kind of like beautiful stage now where it's like, your business is growing on its own, you know, you're growing because you like literally have this, this thing inside you that wants to keep growing, which is a fantastic place to be. And so I, I'm really curious as well. Now that you're kind of out of the 90, 80 hour work weeks and kind of doing that whole 15 hours, 20 hours of working, what do those 15 to 20 hours look like? What are you doing in those, those times where you're actually working, you know, at your business per se? That's a great question. And I've gotten it down to about three hours. Oh, so okay. I need I need two or three hours a week is kind of what I need. Um, now, I'm often in the office more doing other things in my office. I'm here. It's my podcast studio. It's my office. I mean, I've got a great team out there. Also, it's also kind of a nice place to get to escape my crazy young kids sometimes. <laughs> so just going to be honest, like the office is a much less stressful place than home mm -hmm. when you get, especially when you have a three-year-old at home. Yeah. Um, so what do I do with that time? So my business, a lot of the things that I've learned uh, came from a book called Traction. 
Oh, wow. EOS traction. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Are you familiar with that? Yeah, someone I know is reading that at the Mm -hmm. moment, and he's loving it. So the the fact you mentioned good to great and traction, you're already already hitting things that are just flying all around me all day, all the time now. But yeah, you read traction. Okay. So I've read that book four times. There's very few books that I've read four times. Um, And that's one of them. And so we, as a company, we've implemented a lot of the traction sort of you know, values and qualities and systems. And one of them is every week on Wednesday, we have a meeting called a scorecard meeting. Mm-hmm. And so we go over a bunch of metrics for the company, you know, revenue per crew for each week. Uh, I mean, lots of different things. How many new leads, how many new clients, this and that. And we have our weekly goals and then we have our quarterly goals and we're comparing them against our annual goals. And so every week we sit down for an hour and a half at my leadership team. So it's six people plus me. Mm-hmm. seven of us sit down we go over all the numbers then we have an hour to solve issues mm-hmm. it's all very it's a very rigorous format that we follow we got straight from traction and it's 90 minutes it's and it's incredible what we get done during that time period right. and that's the most involved that i am all week even yeah. if i'm out of town i try to call in for that meeting it's a really important meeting and so that's the main thing that i do every week for my company. I did the marketing for quite a while. I've handed that off to Stephanie. She's doing a great job. I don't, I'm no longer a part of the hiring. I'm not a part of the firing. I'm a part of a lot of the key, the high level decisions. And my role is visionary. Right. So I've got an implementer and that's Callie and she, she runs the day to day operations. She makes a lot of the, you know, daily decisions and the office staff report to her. My job is, I think Stephen Covey calls it the difference between leadership and management is, you know, management. There's the guys that are, um, that are going through the, uh, the woods with machetes and they're chopping down all the shrubbery. The managers are the ones sharpening their machetes and helping them be more efficient. The leader's the one who claws, climbs to the tallest tree and says, we're going to go that way. Yeah. So that, that's my job, you know, mm. looking at, you know, acquisitions or looking at buying one of our biggest competitors. So I've been meeting with them and kind of putting all those numbers together and coming up with new ideas for the future and kind of like big picture stuff. So that's a lot of what I do is in that category of, uh, of important but not urgent. Yeah. I have very few fires to put out, things like that. A lot of it is just long-term trajectory, um, uh, which is really nice and doesn't require a whole lot of time. It yeah. requires a bit of focus. But um, So long answer to your question, the 90-minute meeting on Wednesdays is the most important thing that I do. A lot of the other stuff is just kind of here and there, you know, answering a few emails, things like that. I haven't gotten the company email in six years. Um, oh, wow. I don't even know. I don't even know the password. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously clients don't call my cell phone, anything like that. I'm pretty out of the loop. I meet people all the time. Oh, Rob, you know, we've just signed up for your Oh, thanks so much. I'm so happy to hear that. But you know, I've intentionally removed myself from the uh, daily operation, which is weird. It's weird to kind of give up that control, mm-hmm. but I mean, you get a tremendous amount of freedom. So um, anyway, it's 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 a very odd sort of reality that I'm living in, but it's exactly what I wanted. And now <laughs> it's like I've caught the fish, and I'm like, what do I do with the fish? You yeah, know, that's kind of funny. Um, so that's a long answer to your question of how do I spend my time. Yeah. But um, but you know, I. But time that I'm not spending in the office, you know, I'm I'm going to the gym. I join this new kind of CrossFit style gym. I'm working on my book, working on my podcast, a lot of time with the family. We do a lot of weekend trips, love fly fishing, love things like that. So um, reading, just relaxing, spending time with family. Yeah. That's kind of uh, the rest of my time. And how do you ensure that all the people that are working in, you, you know, essentially your business are getting along well? Because I feel like once you get to the stage where you're at, where you're a leader, it's also, you know, you've got to be in charge of the culture of making sure the right people are staying in the workplace at the right levels. You know, certain levels of employees, you know, they're going to come for a bit. They might go somewhere else and whatever else. But once you get that, you know, those six people, that leadership team, 
how do you ensure that those people are the right fit for your business or your kind of environment that you've built here? It's a good question. So we kind of live and die by our core values. Mm -hmm. So our three core values are disciplined, yeah. ownership, and teachable. Mm -hmm. And so everything that a lot of all of our decisions for hiring and firing often revolve around those three things. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, to steal a, a Jim Collins quote from Good to Great, if you Disciplined people don't really need to be managed. Yeah. And so if you find those great people in the front end, so I'll say this, I am involved in the hiring process for our leadership team. Of course. And potentially in the removal process. Mm -hmm. So those six people, I mean, they are super important to our operation because, I mean, they run everybody else and they run everything else. Mm -hmm. How do I maintain culture? Um you know, I mean, obviously sitting on that meeting is helpful, but also we do a lot of fun things uh, as a company. You know, we do barbecues, we have Christmas parties, we do a staff retreat where we'll have an overnight. We even invite uh, spouses for that. So we do fun things to make sure that we're doing things outside of the office that are fun and entertaining. But also I just have a pretty good pulse with everybody. I know I, I do what's called MBWA, management by walking around, Yeah. Uh, you know, where you just kind of walk in and kind of pop in and sit down and have casual conversations with everybody, you know, you know, through throughout the day and so or throughout the week now here's the thing i'm about to move 700 miles away so that's going to be an interesting experiment to see how that goes however i do have a lot of faith in in my integrator in cali at maintaining mm -hmm. culture she's really yeah. good about that she takes everybody out to lunch you know once every month or two and she's got a really good pulse on how everybody's doing not just obviously on their work performance but their personal lives yeah. you know because that stuff really matters mm -hmm. so you know, um, I don't know if that, that really answers your question, but I mean, I'm I'm very attuned to what's going on with my leadership team, and it's obviously team health really is important, especially because I'm not super involved. Uh, and a lot of business owners may like the idea uh, of kind of automating their business, but to actually sort of give up control mm -hmm. is really hard. Yeah, I'll say that because. You know, as a business owner, oftentimes you want to get in there and you want to solve the problems. And you also, a lot of folks don't want to let their people make mistakes, yeah. right? It's a lot of it's like parenting, man. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to let your people make a few mistakes. You've got to let them kind of get a skin knee and kind of get back up. And so that process, Sam, of learning to kind of not jump in all the time has been hard. Yeah. But I will say when I've left town for a month, that's when it's been great because I don't have the option, yeah. right? I used to be the one who, when the weather was bad, you know, I was the one who would cancel. Okay, hey, it's raining. Everybody stay home. Well, I left town for Hawaii. I couldn't do that anymore. And naturally, that, that was just picked up by somebody else. And yeah. so every time I leave town, it's like a few more tasks just get handed to somebody else. And I trust that they're going to do it well. And of course, there's systems you can put in place for that. But I mean, so much of this is just trust. But you don't have, I mean... It's a balance because you want to obviously have metrics where you're evaluating everything. You don't want to give, you know, you don't want to just give your company away per se. So I've got those metrics that I'm looking at every week that are giving me a really good pulse on how the business is doing. Yeah. And then outside of that and having maintaining some relationship, you know, I'm trusting that my team is doing their job. And if the numbers are good, then most likely folks are doing their job. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're in a great place in your life, you know, after all the years of struggle that you're now kind of having that lovely kind of bliss moment where you can sit back and, you know, smell the roses, as they say. But what I'm curious about is because you have done and do so much things at the moment, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Hmm. It's a great question. So 
I think my consulting is probably the answer to that question. So what I really love to do, I love my job. And I, and I, I love, you know, what we do, we make things beautiful and we help people with their yards. But what really fires me up, especially in this point in my life is helping other people on the journey, uh, to get to sort of where I am. Mm -hmm. And so what really fires me up is talking with other business owners and helping them along the way for years. I've had people call me, email me, Facebook me, whatever. Hey, Rob, I've seen your success in business. You know, can I ask you a few questions? And uh, sure. And so I, I love sitting down, talking with somebody for an hour and helping them on their journey because I've been blessed to have so many great people in my lives that have done that for me. And so I love working with other business owners, whether it's professionally or non-professionally, just sitting down, talking shop and saying, okay, I, he I hear this problem. I hear this. I hear this. Have you tried this? I love helping other people sort of get their life back because yeah. I know what it was like to not have a life. I know what it's like to live in that shame cycle. And so what really fires me up is helping other people, you know, spend more time with their kids, spend more time with their families. The idea of giving them a little bit of their life back um, is what really fires me up right now. Where can the people find you, your consulting stuff, all your kind of business stuff? Where can they find you online? Yeah, robtrepanaud.com. So uh, it's R-O-B-T-R-E-P-P-E-N-D-A-H-L.com. There's not many Rob Trepanauds out there. In fact, <laughs> I'm the only one on the planet. I can guarantee you that. And so that is where they can find me. Thank you for listening to People Explain. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.